the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. It is great to be with you and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas week. I hope that you are enjoying your week. Maybe you get a few days off with the kids. Maybe you've got some time with the grandkids. Maybe you're traveling, all of that. And we're blessed to have wonderful weather here in Southern California. Great to be with you today on Southern California Live. We're together each and every day from 3 to 5. News just out. Supreme Court Justice John Roberts today temporarily halted the end of the Title 42 policy that allows the United States to expel migrants at the southern border without the chance for asylum. And it matters a lot because as you've been watching the news, and and you can see this on all the stations now, it's on Fox, CNN, MSNBC, regular news stations, everybody's talking about the crisis that is right upon our doorstep, quite literally, of people coming across the border for all sorts of reasons, but being allowed to stay. And what we're seeing here is a lot of blame shifting today uh, for all of that. The The Title 42 is set to expire on Wednesday. The Supreme Court did not say how long the stay would be, just that they are going to take a look at it after a number of states uh, requested that the Supreme Court maintain the policy for a while because people believe that there is going to be a major, major crisis. Mayor Eric Adams sent a warning yesterday in an email blast to the city council and their staff about the number of migrants that are going to be coming to New York City today. Um, and in the next several days, 10 to 15 busloads of asylum seekers getting ready to arrive in two days while the city's shelters are are. are already at max capacity, that he's going to have to call on again President Biden and the governor of the state, Kathy Hochul. And this is not just New York City. These are major metropolitan areas, sanctuary cities across the country. And we are not, again, we don't have the capacity for these individuals. The schools don't. And we don't have the financial resources to handle all these people. And then you factor in the fentanyl coming into this country. And it's going to be a burden on our entire society in a way that we can't comprehend. If you haven't been paying attention to the story, we talked about it a little bit uh, last week on this program. Title 42 is... Uh, it's an old law that allows the president basically to expel people or keep people from coming into the country due to health reasons. And so it was enacted because of COVID-19. And Donald Trump used that to uh, when he was the president to send people back across the border uh, because of health reasons or keep people from coming into the country because of health reasons. Most countries in the world made some kind of action according to their own laws based upon that. 
The interesting thing is that it is set to expire here, and what people are saying is that if it expires, there are thousands, thousands of people who are ready to come across the border, who are literally right on the other side just waiting for Wednesday, literally waiting for Wednesday to come across, and it is going to be an incredible crisis for our cities in taking care of people. This is uh, Ed Lavendera from CNN talking about a state of emergency that has been passed now in El Paso. Well, the city is says that the state of emergency will help them get the supplies they need uh, in terms of food and shelter, but it also has uh, provided the city ability to um, move a lot of the migrants that have been uh, sleeping on the streets of the city here uh, into uh, hotels, other shelter that is starting to come online as well. All of this in anticipation of what is going to happen uh, here in a couple of days, where the mayor of this city now says anywhere from four to 6,000 people could be coming into the city of El Paso once Title 42 is lifted on Wednesday. But there is a great deal of concern that the city and everybody is not quite ready for the logistical nightmare that could very well unfold in these areas uh, once the, if, if the numbers of people expected to cross the border does indeed begin uh, to come to fruition here. So it's a major crisis and the blame game has begun. And I want to talk about that a little bit because I think that there is something that we can learn too about blame because in our own lives, we blame people sometimes for things that are actually their fault, but sometimes we really have enough blame in our own our own side, or maybe we're totally to blame. But have you ever done that? Have you ever, you know, sort of manufactured a way to blame the other side or the other person for something that uh, actually you're guilty of, or you're just as equally guilty of? This is something that scripturally is called fault finding. It's actually a sin. You find it in the book of Jude. And, you know, it also doesn't help in in solving the problem. And that is a really big deal. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. You can join our conversation right now by calling 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can also email me at SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. So an interesting turn today. For, for many weeks, people have been asking the White House, uh, what's the situation at the border? And the common response is that the border is secure, and we've been doing a whole lot of things at the border Well, now what you've heard is the mayor of New York, the governor of California, even uh, Gavin Newsom last week, is raising the alarm about what's going to happen at the border should Title 42 actually be lifted later on this week. And I found this kind of interesting uh, in in kind of how the blame is is, uh, shifted here. This is Karine Jean-Pierre at the White House today being asked about the problem. Uh, And there's estimates of 50,000 migrants in Mexico waiting to cross if Title 42 ends. Is that accurate? And would that overwhelm the Border Patrol? So look, I I don't uh, don't have a a number uh, for you at this time. What I can say is that we know smugglers uh, will try to spread misinformation to take advantage of these vulnerable uh, migrants. But I want to be very clear here. Uh, The fact is that the removal of Title 42 does not mean the border is open. Uh, Anyone who suggests otherwise is simply doing the work of these smugglers who, again, are spreading misinformation and which are which is very dangerous. That's a really interesting turn, isn't it? That if you're saying, hey, the border's open, then you're doing the work of the smugglers. 
that's a that's quite a twist here. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody sort of uh, did that to you? I find that uh, really amazing uh, that she would say that. Martha Raddatz, um, uh, in interviewing the governor of Texas, did something very similar. You talk about the border wall. You talk about open borders. I don't think I've ever heard President Biden say, we have an open border, come on over. But people I have heard say it are you, our former President Trump, or Ron DeSantis. That message reverberates in Mexico and beyond. So they do get the message that it is an open border, and smugglers use all those kinds of statements. So the problem isn't that there's an open border. The problem is that people are complaining that there's an open border. So the reason that so many people are, are ready to come over, the reason that so many people feel like, hey, I can get into the United States now, is not because it's wide open. It's, a, it's because people are complaining about it being wide open. And it's not just Republicans doing that. This is Congressman Henry Cuellar from Texas. The border is open, and, and once Title 42 goes away, I've been told that there is more than 50,000 people and more counting that are waiting for this Title 42 to go away so they can come in uh, into the United States. I will tell you that next week is going to be very challenging and very chaotic. And that was Henry Quayle. He's a Democrat from Texas who is saying this. So. One of the things that we've commented here on before is that really what's happening is both sides aren't really doing anything and haven't for over 40 years. This is a problem that has been developing for many years, and Republicans and Democrats have both been in the White House, and they've both been in charge of Congress, and sometimes they've been in charge of all three branches, uh, not branches, but the uh, presidency and both houses of Congress, and sometimes just one or the other, all kinds of combinations. Both sides have had that going on, and we have not had any meaningful change to what's happening at the border, except for, you know, a few miles of wall that went up during the Trump administration, but that's it. And now we have a humanitarian crisis and a lot of blame shifting. We need to do better than that. I'm just listening to so much blame and so many things that people are saying, and there's still no solutions. The only hope right now is that the Supreme Court keeps Title 42 in place for a while, but I'm not entirely sure what authority they're going to have to do that. We're going to have to wait and see. CNN uh, was interviewing uh, migrants on the Mexican side of the border, and they had many interesting things to say about what they're being told. This is Gustavo Valdez on CNN. Now, we are also hearing a lot of misinformation under, you know, everything that they believe is going to happen on Wednesday. Some people are telling others that, hey, wait until Wednesday. It's going to be okay. They're going to have to take you in, especially for people from countries like Venezuela or Nicaragua, where U.S. relations are not the best right now, because in order for somebody to be repatriated, the country has to take him in. They believe that their countries are not going to allow these people to be returned. Some fear that they are going to be deported back into Mexico, but through another border. So the confusion is greater here. And also the authorities here, they don't know what to do. They say here in Juarez, they were used to people being deported, but not people coming in in these large numbers to try to get in. They're struggling also with the shelters, with the services. And just like we've seen some uh, governments in the U.S. bossing people farther north, 
states farther south in Mexico. They don't want to see these people walking through the states. They're also helping them with buses to bring them directly to the border, not only Ciudad Juarez. This is happening in Piedras Negras, Eagle Pass, McAllen. This is a larger issue. It's a big issue, and what we're not seeing is a solution. This is something we got to pray about, my friends, and we're going to have to take a look at what the church should do here. I believe that there is an opportunity here to take care of people, whichever side of the border they are on. We could have thousands of people literally in just in the next few weeks come across the border who are going to be just sleeping on our streets. California, Arizona, all the border states, some are going to be sent off to different cities, as you've heard. That's why the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, is raising the alarm about it. This is a huge deal, and yet nothing's happening. You know why nothing's happening? Because they haven't figured out how to blame each other. I really believe that that is a big part of it, that whenever there is conflict, whenever there is sort of political conflict or even relational conflict, right, one of the reasons that it's so hard to restore relationships that are broken one of the things that that breaks down in communication, whether it's politics or whether it's just spouses or friends, is the blame game. Have you ever played the blame game with people? Have you ever just, well, you did this to me and I did this to you and it's blame, blame, blame. We're a society that doesn't want to take responsibility. And this is a, this is a big you know, crisis is just going to get worse and worse. I think this is huge. I think this is only the beginning. I've said it before that there are going to be millions of people coming up here soon, as soon as the border, uh, as soon as some of those countries collapse uh, economically, which could happen. El Salvador is fooling around with uh, with socialism and uh, fooling around with uh, cryptocurrency. That's a big problem for that country. They're fooling around uh, in Nicaragua with all kinds of different problems, and we don't have a relationship with them. That was part of that CNN report is that, you know, he called it misinformation. I'm gonna, I'm really curious about that because in that entire report, he interviewed a, a migrant who's only speaking Spanish, so I didn't play that audio. There was no translation uh, other than what you could read, but I'll read that part to you. The The person who's coming up, he's from Venezuela, and he said that he went across the border and that the Border Patrol agent sent him back and said, come back on Wednesday and said, it's too early for you to cross. I'm going to have, if I get you, I'm going to have to send you back. But if you come on Wednesday, there's nothing I can do. Now, is that true? That's the information that he's been given. That's the reason that he's come all the way from Venezuela, which is not a short trip, by the way. So that started months ago. And I don't know. I think that might be uh, that might be true. It seems to me that everybody on the border seems to think so. This is what happens when we blame. This is what happens when we do not take responsibility or that we don't just take the problem and say, you know what, whoever is to blame, we can figure out that later. Let's do something about it. This is something I think that we should ask all of our political leaders, whatever party you're in, is call them up and say, let's do something about it. I think most of us agree. I think you control the border. I think you create a circumstance where you have to communicate that everybody's not getting in. There's too many people. And what's happening is they're going to die on the streets. It's cold. Thousands of people are going to be added to the streets. It could happen right here in the Southland. We have a little bit better control here in uh, Southern California. The border is a little bit better controlled here. But the problems are much better, much more than just people. The problem also is the drug trade, which is very significant. This is uh, Bill Milligan from Fox News. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. 
you can give us a call and join the conversation, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can also send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. This is Bill Melgan from Fox News talking about a major fentanyl bust at the border in Arizona. Take a look at this. Another major fentanyl bust made by CBP agents at the port of entry in Nogales. 230,000 fentanyl pills, 62 pounds of meth, and 13 pounds of cocaine seized by CBP officers in three separate incidents there. Just since last Thursday, that single port of entry has seized nearly 2 million fentanyl pills. That is uh, 2 million fentanyl pills, and that's just fentanyl. And that is actually at a actual border crossing, a legal border crossing, that that's being caught. Imagine how much is coming across elsewhere where nobody's looking. This is a major problem, and it's a problem for all. It's a problem for each one of our, our countries. I think that there is something that the church, capital C Church, needs to do here to take care of people, to create a an atmosphere, an ethos, if you will, of stopping the blame game. There's an election that is two years away now. Maybe now is the opportunity to just take a minute and not blame people. What frustrates me is that everybody has known this is a problem for all these years, and it's the same thing every time. And both sides raise money on it. Both sides raise money on whether the on what's happening at the border, whatever side of it, whatever role you want to say about compassion or about justice or about closing the border or laws, you know, lawlessness, all of those things, all of those things might be reasonable things to talk about. But what's happening is because of the blame, things don't get done. Now, let me ask you this question. We're coming up on Christmas time. And for many of us, we've got something excited, you know, exciting to do with our families or friends at Christmas time. But for many of you, there seems to be, uh, for many of us, uh, sometimes there's some estrangement going on. For some of us, Christmas time is really hard. I wonder how much of it has to do with how much time we spend blaming each other for things. Can I encourage you to do something? If you're in a relationship where it's strained, family relationship or relationship with friends, if you find yourself not invited to Christmas dinner or you're not inviting somebody else to Christmas dinner because of something, you might have reasons for that. There might be there might be some pretty good reasons out there in cases of abuse or some other things. But sometimes it's really solvable. A lot of time it's really solvable. One of the saddest stories I ever dealt with was a man who he came to our church and he was brand new, never met him comes to my office and he talks about how he hadn't seen his son in 50 years, 50, five, zero, five decades, half a century, hadn't seen or talked to his son. And he didn't even know where he was, wanted to know if I could help him locate him because he thought he's coming to the end of his life and he wanted to uh, break through. And we never found him, never found his son. He never responded, you know, the name I, I wrote, you know, to certain people named that person, wasn't sure if it's the right guy or not. The interesting thing was to me, the sad part to me, is that the reason they were estranged was because they got in an argument. And they got in an argument over who owed the car payment, a $230 car payment. You know, and that was it. And they fought over that. You know, dad was probably right in the way that the argument was, you know, it's probably as far as who's right or wrong, probably dad was right. 
But dad was wrong in holding a grudge for all of that. I mean, is $230 really a reason to not talk to your kid for all these years? Even if your kid is wrong, even to teach your kid a lesson that they probably, you know, kid might have been spoiled, might have been robbing his dad. There's all kinds of uh, relationship issues there. But it seemed to me it all came down to just blame and nothing ever got resolved. And he passed away, never saw his son, never spoke to his son. Don't even know if the son knows to this day. I think there's a lot of relationships that we have. We're blaming other people. Just is is the problem, even though somebody might legitimately be in fault. Is there somebody in your life that you just need to stop blaming, even if you're right? Is there somebody in your life that you can encourage to just let it go? I think this matters because there are bigger things in life. In the, in the book of Jude in the New Testament, you ever read Jude? It's right before Revelation. It's a very interesting book. There's stuff in there that is very different than some of your other New Testament books. And here it talks about some of the fighting in the church and the false teaching that's in the church. And it points out that in verse 16, it says, these people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. That is a pattern of of breaking up relationships. I always think it's interesting that there's fault finders. There's always people who just want to figure out who's at fault. And that seems to be like their call in life. That's their, that's their spiritual gift, right? Is uh, who's to blame. But biblically speaking, it's not a spiritual gift. Biblically speaking, it's wrong. Biblically speaking, it's, it's put in the same category as grumblers and people who, it doesn't say that they're wrong, like what they might be grumbling about. They might be correct. But ultimately, they're following their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage and they create factions. They create sides. This happens in churches. This happens in churches all the time. It happens in the government. It happens in families. Can I encourage you this Christmas, if you know somebody or maybe you yourself is in a strained relationship, to take some time and ask yourself, is this really about just assigning blame and then figure out if it really matters? I think over time, it just doesn't. Over time, you know, it matters to rebuild that relationship and have it. It matters to find solutions. It matters to bring the family together. I think in our country, we're not going to come together until people stop trying to figure out how to blame the other side. You know, let the facts of history do that. Let's come together and solve this problem. We're about to have thousands of people that we can't help come across the border here in the United States. That is not good. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about more fault finding going on in Washington with the uh, the Insurrection Committee making some findings uh, about Donald Trump today. And uh, we'll talk about that and we'll take your calls as soon as we get back. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. And the number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. We'll be back as the Monday edition of SoCal Live continues. Stay tuned. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Text Scott right now in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. But according to the committee, Donald Trump is a felon, an insurrectionist, someone who wanted to riot but just physically couldn't get there. Uh, According to the committee, he has co-conspirators in Clark and Eastman, people inside the government who were planning the coup. According to the committee, uh, Donald Trump's 
purpose and goal in advance was to overthrow the election through any means necessary, violent and otherwise. What's really key here about this satchel of charges that they recommend and the DOJ will make up its own mind is the committee is basically saying, we got you. We have the receipts. We have the video. This all was planned and that you had a method to do this both violently and, and this is important, illegally but peacefully, what sometimes is colloquially known as a bloodless coup. That was R.E. Melber from MSNBC uh, giving his legal uh, in uh, his legal uh, understanding of what the January 6th committee decided today as they asked the federal government Department of Justice to charge Donald Trump with crimes. And in particular, insurrection is the big one, because according to the 14th Amendment, anybody who has been convicted of insurrection against the United States is ineligible to run for office anywhere. But the committee itself doesn't have any power to do all of that. They have to ask the Department of Justice to do that. And Welcome back, by the way, Southern California Live. Scott Furrow, your host. The number is 888-528-2557. If you want to join the conversation, 888-528-2557. You have a MSNBC report. This is how you really see the difference between uh, the different stations. I tell you a lot that if you kind of want to gather what's going on and try to be informed there's different ways to go about that but you gotta you gotta get information from a bunch of sources okay so that's the way msnbc who of course is uh most people understand that they're a liberal network and that's the direction that they're going uh fox news on the other hand gave a completely different legal analysis this is andy mccarthy on fox news well i you know again i think not only is the justice department jonathan mentioned that this is not binding and you know the justice department could reject it uh, my sense is the Justice Department will ignore it, which is what the Justice Department generally does when Congress grandstands in this fashion. Um, I, I would just point out the last referral that they made was about uh, incitement and incitement of the violence at the Capitol. Um, the Justice Department has um, prosecuted upwards of 800 people on, in connection with the Capitol riot. Insurrection is a federal crime. They have not brought a single insurrection case against anybody who's been prosecuted. They have taken the position in the most serious cases that they brought in connection with seditious conspiracy that Trump was not an unindicted co-conspirator. And to the extent that the defendants who were charged tried to blame Trump in those cases, the Justice Department took the position that he was basically a pretext for things that these militia-type groups were planning to do anyway. That was uh, Andy McCarthy on Fox News. And so it's interesting, isn't it, if you hear both of those stations. So if you're listening to MSNBC, well, then it's a very dire report for Donald Trump, the January 6th committee, and what they're referring over to the Department of Justice. Fox News says that they're just grandstanding and that the Department of Justice will do nothing. I don't know what's really true. And uh, time will play all of that out, of course. But the point is, and what we've been t- what we've been talking about this this hour is the idea of blame and how there is so much blame that goes on. And you know, I, even with things like January six, what hap- what would have happened if if President Trump and people who were involved, the guy in the Buffalo suit, everybody on that side of it, um, and then everybody on the uh, you know on the uh, on different sides just started to take up. And say, you know what, I could have done this better, or I wish I hadn't have done that, and just sort of taken blame for whatever they think they could do. 
See, what I'm saying is that there is something that we can learn here even for our own lives. And it matters, you know, this time of year. I know that a lot of us are missing people and we the relationship strain that so many of us have, it just gets highlighted at this time of year. Often it's because we don't do something very simple. And this is something that's interpersonal. And I like to think it's political, too, in in government. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, he tells us this. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Imagine if we applied that to our politics. If each side would say, you know what, we've contributed to these these problems, the immigration problems or other things in these ways, ourselves, and we need to come together. Yeah, I believe most of us who are just in the, the citizens, we all tend to have some agreement on a lot of this stuff, the way we look at it. And even in our own lives, you know, is are there relationships that we are struggling in because we refuse to take a look at ourselves in the mirror? We might be right. Notice in uh, when Jesus is talking about this, he doesn't say that there's no speck in your brother's eye. He doesn't say that your brother is innocent. He doesn't say you're guilty and the other guy's, you know, not. He says, no, the other guy's got speck in his eye, but you have something so big in your eye, you can't see clearly enough to take it out. There is something that is about our humility, and this matters a lot because this is, in a big way, how we come to Christ, that we can't earn salvation, that you might, in your life, be such a good person that you just have a speck in your eye, but it's enough for you not to be righteous on your own. Or you might have an enormous log sticking out of your eye. You might be have redwood trees sticking out of both eyes. And you just think, well, I'm not worthy of anything. You know, what the scripture is saying is that both people, all people, fall short of the glory of God, and we all need a Savior. That's what Christmas is about. That's what is so important about this time of year that we realize what's happening is that Jesus came into the world because of the sin that we have in our life. Romans 2, chapter 1, Paul writes, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. It's something that about our faith that I think we as Christians need to embrace more because, and what I mean by that is we have to accept that that's the truth, that's the situation we're in. But I think that we lose that when in the, the way the culture sees us when we spend so much time blaming other people or blaming, blaming that particular group of people over there for this part of society's ills or other things. It happens inside the church and outside the church. Can you imagine if we became a, a people who is aware of ourselves enough to be able to say, you know what, uh, I'm at fault here. You know, in, in a marriage, in a friendship, there are all things that we could have done better. And it helps in all of those conversations when we can acknowledge that. But our, I believe our original sin is a sin that forces us, not forces us, but it causes us to blame somebody else. Genesis 3, the man said, the woman who you gave me, she's the one. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. And then God said to the woman, "Uh, what is this you have done? And she said, "Uh, the serpent deceived me and I ate. See, that's part of... uh, who we are is uh, in our sinful, our sinful self is that we want to blame others. We don't want to take any responsibility for the things that we do wrong. 
you know, or we'll take some responsibility, but still that person's fault. That's uh, that's, you know, that is the way of the world. And that's why we see politics get so ugly. That's why we see crises like we're seeing at the border right now just get worse and worse and worse. Because nobody wants to say, yeah, we've done nothing for 40 years. Your, our party hasn't done anything and neither is your party. Can we come together and solve that problem? Bugs me. But, you know, as the church, we have the example. We have the example to say, hey, maybe we just let each everybody off the hook in a sense and at least look forward, not let people off the hook. You know, people are responsible, but we're not doing it at the voting, the voting booth. We just reelected almost every single person in every single office across the country a couple of months ago. Did you know that? Almost, almost everybody got reelected. And this is a time when we have what? A 14% approval rating for Congress, and yet almost everybody in both parties gets reelected. And almost nobody thinks that the you know, two-thirds of the country, three-quarters of the country think we're headed in the wrong direction. I think a big part of it is, is that we're looking for who to blame and how to win the blame game, and you can't win the blame game. You can't, can't win it on national issues, and you can't win it in personal issues either. And the scriptures are full of teachings about this. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. It is, it is so important that we do this, that we take this time. And I want to encourage you, I know that these are hard things to talk about when you're talking about personal life, but Christmas is coming up, and if you're finding yourself with a lot of tension about family, about people coming over, about different things, uh, maybe what needs to happen is you need to start by not focusing on who to blame for whatever the tension is. You might be 100% right. That speck in your brother's eye, your mother's eye, your father's eye, your, your sister's eye, your cousin's eye, you might be absolutely right about that, 100%. But none of us are without guilt. And the most important thing is restoring that relationship. It really is. It matters so much to be able to look past those things. And the reason for that is at the end of the day, the reason for Christmas is that the baby is coming because of us. People like to wear the little pins that say, Jesus is the reason for the season. Do you do that? You know, the reality is that you're the reason for the season. See, and I'm the reason for the season. And your mother-in-law is the reason for the season. And your boss is the reason for the season. And your coworkers are the reason for the season. See, everybody you know is a sinner. And if they weren't sinners, then there'd be no reason for the season. If there was no sin and, and if there was no separation from God, then there's no reason for this season, actually. There'd be no reason for Jesus to have come. We'd be given a set of rules, and it would probably say, hey, these rules are easy. Keep these rules, and you get into, you get into heaven. Instead, we're given a set of rules that are not easy and that we all fail at. And the only way to get right with God is that Jesus would come and live the perfect life that we can't live and that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. And he came for you. Jesus came for you, and he came for that person you might be thinking of, and he came for those people that you don't like at the office or those people that you do. He came for your roommate. He came for your your classmate. He claimed for your cellmate, if you're listening. Whoever it is, that's why Jesus came. He came for you because he loves you. Let's make sure that's part of the the reason for the season, that we understand why Jesus came, that he came to take the blame. He came to take the blame for us and the things that we did.
I think it's a powerful thing. All right, I got to take a break. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about um, Karen Bass, Mayor Karen Bass's statements about homeless in um, Los Angeles and what she hopes to do as the new mayor and uh, where that's headed with the uh, the subject of blame. And we'll take your calls, 888-528-2557. You're listening to Southern California Live. Scott Furrow, your host. I'll be back as the Monday edition continues. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. Well, uh, a fair way to judge it would be encampment should be significantly down, if not eliminated. And there should be housing being built underway at a much more rapid pace. And there should not be 40,000 people who are unhoused. That's for sure. That was uh, new Los Angeles mayor, Karen Bass, responding to question, how should we judge you in four years? And she said, well, we should have these people housed and uh, there shouldn't be uh, all the stuff going on. That's uh, that's going to be in a political commercial, either in favor of her or against her in four years, probably. And, uh, you know, we're talking about blame and that is something that people do all the time. But we. We need to be able to take the log out of our own eye and find ways to work together because we all fall short of the glory of God. 888-528-2557 is the number. Uh, Jackie in Compton, welcome to Southern California Live. Um, yes, hi. Um, I wanted to share my uh, of my life with this audience right now. Yeah. Um, I, I went through this with my father when I was um, 19 years old. Me and my dad got into a big disagreement because I um, let somebody sleep in my car. And my dad bought me my car, and I didn't tell him. And my dad would always go out in the morning and check my car. My friend was always out of the car before my dad would leave to work. But that day, he wasn't. Mm -hmm. And my dad came in the house, and um, he was very mad. My dad was an older man. He had me at 52 years old. And um, he really gave it to me. And he told me, you know what? I'm never going to talk to you. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And I was very upset myself hearing those from those words from my dad, because I never heard that before. And I was very stubborn. And I said, fine, you're not going to talk to me. I'm not going to talk to you. And honestly, that went on for two years. I lived there for a whole year. We would be on Christmas. We wouldn't say a word to each other. We'd just look at each other. Hmm. And, um, I moved out about a year later, and um, I just thank God. I, it's the grace of God that I was. I got a message from somebody that talked Spanish and English, and I misunderstood. And the, um, the message was my dad was actually looking for me, but I thought that she said that my dad was sick in the hospital. So I ran to my house. I got in my car, and I went over there. It was late at night, and I was so grateful. My dad answered the door. And the reason I took so long to talk to him was because I felt that he would push me away. I thought that he would say, you know, he, I, I honestly thought he would push me away. He welcomed me. He said, come on in. What are you doing here? And I hugged him. Come and get some tea because that was our thing. And I stayed with him and I made breakfast. And, you know, and it just makes me think now, you know, I missed out on two years, two years. Mm. And what I wanted to share is that it's really not worth it. Small things like that. That's right. Anything really, family, people you love, 
you know, those two years, I missed out on them. And it still hurts me to this day. And I just thank the Lord that we were reunited. You know, really, it was God, because I wasn't happy in those two years. Believe me, I wasn't. I would cry on holidays. I was not happy. I was just stubborn. You know, I was just stubborn. That's what I was. Yeah. And I asked my dad, I asked my dad, I said, Dad, how come you didn't talk to me? You know what he said? And I understand that. You know what he said to me? Because you were an adult, and you needed to come to me. Mm. I taught you, and you should have came to me. And I look at that in a way, this might sound weird, I don't know, but I look at it like, that's God. That's God saying, God, our Father is saying, come to me. Come to me. And I look at that and I say, wow, it's a similarity you know, in, my, it, in my, yeah. It made such a difference, uh, Jackie, that you made the decision to go talk to your dad after all that time. Yeah. And, and I mean, his response is something that I'm talking about here is that sometimes the other person is saying, you know, why don't they come talk to me? Right. You know, I mean, that's the, the, you know, or sometimes both people are so stubborn that they don't. Yeah. And I'm really glad yeah. you're sharing this because so many people listening are in that same situation with a loved one. Yes, that's why I wanted to share yeah. it today. Can well, you uh, can you hold on a sec? Can, can we give you a book, Jackie? Sure, I would uh, love a book. Hold on for a second, and a producer will a uh, producer will talk to you about that. Thank you for sharing your story so much. Uh, you know, Jackie's story is one that exactly what we're talking about today. That so many of us, what happens is we dig our heels in on things where we just figure we're right, and we might be right. You know, Proverbs 21, 2, one of my favorite ones, it says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. See, in so many of these circumstances, we might be right as far as the facts are concerned of a situation, but in our heart, we're not right if we're not willing to humble ourselves and really fight for that relationship. Then we're actually wrong. And like in Jackie's case, I mean, I... So many of you might right now be saying we haven't seen mom for five years because we don't talk to her dad or brother or sister. You know, it is, it's worth calling up just to find out if they'll come over. It's worth calling up just to find out. But something I've, I've got to tell you, just there's so many years and experiences with people, it's just worth it. I've got a friend who was uh, a pastor, and uh, his dad was a pastor. And uh, it's not me. I'm not saying, uh, you know, that, that uh, asking for a friend because my dad's a pastor. No, and uh, this guy and his dad used to fight so much. They fought in the neighborhood, right? People would hear them. And uh, it was a very public thing in their town, you know, that they didn't get along. Well, they stopped talking to each other. But something that they did was because of their relationship, because or because they were pastors, they knew that it was, they had so much experience with people being estranged and fathers and sons in this case, that they knew they couldn't just do it. And so they they agreed to go to lunch every Friday just to maintain a relationship. And the story is that they went to lunch every Friday for six months and didn't say a word to each other the entire lunch. And they described this sitting across the table in, you know, in a booth in some restaurant, ordering food, eating their food and leaving and not even speaking. That's how bitter they were toward each other. But they made sure that they did it every week and eventually they broke through and now they've got a great relationship and there's been forgiveness and there has been mercy there's been confession all of those things but sometimes you got to fight for it and you got to fight for it because this is what god wants you to do he wants us to to have those relationships with people he really really does 
that matters that matters a lot are we uh are we ready for Ruben on there okay hold on I see one call in there I just wasn't sure if we were quite ready to take it 888-528-2557 just a couple minutes here we're talking about blame and I just want to encourage you, you know, this is a hard thing. And, uh, you know, for, for Jackie to share her story about her dad, she restored that relationship. He was glad to hear. I'm not sure that his answer was necessarily right. Oh, I'm just waiting for you. You know, uh, he should have stepped in himself at some point is my opinion. Um, and you know what? The Lord is, he is, if you're estranged from God, you know, what I want you to know, he's not off in the, the distance somewhere because you're estranged for it. No, he's waiting for you. He's got his eye on you. He's present. He's right there. And he might be waiting for you to turn around back to him and and re-engage with that relationship with the Lord. But you don't have to go far. He's right there. Do it. Do it today. All right. Uh, Reuben and Downey, we've got a few uh, seconds left here. How are you doing today, Reuben? I'm doing great. I've been blessed. Oh, great. I've been blessed. I belong to a fellowship here in Whittier, California, good shepherd for 41 years that God has kept me involved in ministry for the last 41 years. Yeah. That's blessed. Yeah, well, that's great. Mm-hmm. What's on your and mind today, uh, Ruben? Yeah, but I was talking about, yes, it's, it's, it's good to forgive people. It's good to practice the forgiveness, but how about people admitting and acknowledging their error? Well, you people, know, people, yeah. People need to do that. That's that's what Jesus is teaching. He's not he's not teaching that people aren't wrong. Yeah, and not to repent that there is no sin committed. You know, and and that's where it gets really to it gets kind of to me because Trump is still telling us I won the election. He's still telling people that. You know, uh, it was fraud. They they they, they didn't the elect, he didn't win the election. And we've been with President Biden already, what, a couple of years? It's been uh, almost two years since all of that. That's right. Uh, Ruben, uh, I'm almost out of time here, Ruben. I appreciate uh, your call. Earlier in the uh, hour, we, we've talked about different things in politics and how there's a lot of blame going on and a lot of back and forth and how we're not getting along and the crises are getting worse with the uh, immigration crisis that is about to hit us and with uh, – uh, stuff going on with the with President Trump, and you know, and the thing is, is even with with President Trump or other other things going on, it's usually the refusal to you know with any politician, the refusal to acknowledge any blame, or the refusal to um, uh, admit things you can that creates so much of the problem. And really, where I want to leave us is, you know, we can talk about the politics and and all of that, and it, it's all relevant. But for you and I in our own personal life, you know, where are we at with people is if we are estranged, if Christmas is stressful because of this difficult time, can you just remember that Jesus died for that person that you're upset with in the same way that he died for you? And when you stand before Jesus one day, you're not going to get to say, yeah, but that person made me do it. Or yeah, but that person was so bad. Lord, hear me out on my my bitterness and my refusal to have a relationship, my refusal to forgive, my refusal to have mercy, all of those things that we're called to do. You know, Jesus knows your heart. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, Proverbs says, but the Lord weighs the heart. What's on your heart? Forgive those people. Have mercy on them. Take the log out of your own eye, and maybe you'll get that confession that you need from them. Maybe they will say what they need to say if they need to say it at all. All right, we're done. We're going to talk about... uh, 
the joy of Christmas and that great soccer game on Sunday when we get back. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. I'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.